Hey there, it's Susan Pierce Thompson and welcome to the weekly vlog. So there's this thing that happens in Bright Line Eating, which is that we gallop ahead and then science catches up to us. It happens all the time. So you'll experience this as you follow along with Bright Line Eating. You'll see studies come out and you'll go like, oh, like I already knew that because I do Bright Line Eating and that's now obvious to me. But while Brightline Eating is founded on science, as you know, because that's my background and um, I'm lucky to have a really interdisciplinary scientific background in psychology and neuroscience and um, all kinds of other random stuff like computational linguistics and weird stuff that usually doesn't come into play. But my interdisciplinary background has allowed me to sort of piece together a narrative that helps to explain my ridiculous food addiction combined with weight loss and weight gain and weight loss and weight gain and finally ultimately weight loss and what I see in other people as well, it explains it, but also um, it fills in the gaps where science hasn't yet caught up to what we know to be true based on what we observe in ourselves, like me looking at my experiences, like for example, uh, I know that dried fruits and uh, nut butters and things like that are addictive. Why? Because, uh, yeah, I found myself standing in the kitchen eating a jar of peanut butter and a box of raisins at two in the morning. And uh, I don't do that with broccoli, right? So um, I see science catching up with certain things that I know to be true because I observe them in myself and I see them in the thousands of people that now do Brightline Eating. Uh, and the thousands of people that I've observed back through the years. I first got into some form of food recovery back in 1995. It's a long time observing a lot of people do stuff that works or doesn't work, clinically speaking, and observing the patterns. And so this week, I want to inform you of a big advancement, actually, in science and in the way scientists are now starting to think about food and to talk a little bit about how bright line eating fits in with this new understanding and how this new understanding kind of reflects something that we're already hip to. So I want to tell you about a study that was published in the journal Cell Metabolism in May of 2019. It was a randomized clinical trial and it was a metabolic ward study, which makes it super expensive and super high quality and rare. There aren't that many of these studies because they're so expensive to do. So what I mean by a metabolic ward study is they took people and locked them in a hospital ward for 28 days. Like literally these people could not leave. They could not eat anything that wasn't provided for them. And they were there for 28 days. This was 10 men and 10 women, and they were randomly assigned to two groups. And in this study, the groups actually switched. So the protocol lasted for 14 days, and then all the people that had been assigned to the first group switched with the other people, and everybody swapped over. So everybody got this treatment for 14 days and then that treatment for 14 days. So everybody got both treatments, which is a very robust way of canceling out effects due to people's underlying physiology or metabolism or brain health or whatever, right? Because everybody got both groups, both conditions. So the conditions were unprocessed diet or highly processed diet. 
but the diets were matched for overall calories, for grams of sugars, for grams of fat, for grams of fiber, and for percentage of macronutrient um, uh, contribution to the overall diet. So like the same percentage of protein, carbohydrate, and fat in both groups. But here's how it worked. For breakfast, lunch, and dinner, both conditions of people were allowed to eat for an hour, and they were offered a meal that was roughly twice as big as they needed, given their size as a human being. And they were allowed to eat as much as they wanted. So when I say the two groups were matched for calories, I mean the number of calories in the meals that were presented to them, but these were both very high levels of calories. People did not need to eat everything that they were provided with, and people did not eat everything that they were provided with, but they were able to eat three times a day for up to an hour. Then the food was removed. It was all weighed. So we know exactly how much people ate. And then they also were provided with snacks and bottled water throughout the day. They were an average of 31 years old and they were an average BMI of 27, which means they were a little light for our population, but still in the overweight category. So, uh, uh, a BMI of up to 25 is normal weight. 18 and a half to 25 is normal weight. 25 to 30 is overweight and over 30 is obese. So these people had an average BMI of 27. So they were a little bit overweight, but that's, you know, typical in this day and age. And importantly, they were stable weight. So they had not had fluctuations in their weight for the years prior to this study. Okay. Basically, people who ate processed foods ate more and gained weight. And people who ate unprocessed foods ate less and their weight stayed stable and then kind of also just dropped a little bit. They lost a little bit of weight. Meaning there was something in the processed, ultra-processed food diet that woke people's brains up to making them want to eat more food. Okay, not shocking. Now, I do want to say that although the diets were matched for, gram for, for, for sugar, for fat, for fiber, for macros, and so forth, uh, they couldn't match for everything. So, for example, the highly processed food diet had way more grams of sugar from added sugars than from naturally occurring sugars, right? And the processed food diet had way more saturated fat and way more omega-6 fatty acids than the unprocessed food diet. And the processed food diet had way more insoluble fiber, insoluble fiber than soluble fiber. Uh, fruit and whole, whole foods tend to have a balance of soluble and insoluble. They weren't able to maintain that in the processed foods group. So, what we've been talking about for years here at Brightline Eating is that the processing of food really matters, right? Eating rice is not the same as eating rice syrup, is not the same as eating rice flour. <laughs> eating orange juice is not the same, uh, eating oranges is not the same as eating orange juice, is not the same as eating orange starburst, is not the same as eating, you know, whatever, fill in the blank, orange flavored, you know, packaged, something something right like there are differences and the 
the refining process matters, right? So what's interesting is that scientists have now developed the NOVA diet classification system. You can Google this, the NOVA, N-O-V-A, diet classification system. It's not an acronym. It's a name. It doesn't stand for anything. And the NOVA diet classification system is a system that classifies foods according to their levels of processing. We've gone beyond the point where we can just say, is this food processed or unprocessed? No, no, no. How processed is it? Because there's a big difference between taking flax seeds and grinding them, which is necessary for your body to absorb the nutrients from those flax seeds, and opening a bag of snack foods that's got 42 ingredients and eating that, right? So one is minimally processed and one is ultra processed. So the NOVA classification system, the first level is unprocessed or minimally processed foods. The second group is processed culinary ingredients. So like olive oil would fall into that category. The third is processed foods. And the fourth and final category is ultra processed foods. You now need four levels to really describe how processed is processed, right? You might not be surprised to hear that in the United States, 58% of calories now consumed are ultra processed foods. And what I want to say is that Brightline Eating will have completely lost its soul if we start trying to sell you ultra processed foods and claim that they're low calorie, that they're, you know, zero points or one point or whatever. If we try to tell you that you can get happy, thin and free eating our packaged foods, like that's not how it works. There are no foods that I could package up and sell to you. I mean, maybe like, you know, oatmeal and a thing, but like, you see what I'm saying, right? Like in general, don't eat foods that are in a package. Buy carrots, go to the grocery store and walk around the perimeter of the store and buy actual food. Like at Brightline Eating, we talk about eating real food. And alas, a lot of the dietary approaches in this world become marketing gimmicks that then try to sell you packaged foods as if there's some sort of way to game the system and eat foods with tons and tons and tons of ingredients that are, you know, uh, what's the word, industrially manipulated to taste better and, you know, be easier to swallow with fewer chews. They measure this stuff. Like how few chews does it take to, to like go down the gullet? Yeah, no. Chew your food, eat vegetables, buy your food at the grocery store, food that is not in a package that has no ingredients, right? There's one last thing I want to say about this, which is that unfortunately, science is not yet being done that takes into account where people are on the susceptibility scale. We need to move there. We don't know underlyingly what type of brain response these people had who are in this metabolic ward eating ad libitum, which means as much as you want. And here's what I predict. 
what we will find when we start to take into account how susceptible to food addiction different brains are is that once a brain has been altered by eating heavily processed foods for year upon year upon year, that brain changes to the point where even certain real foods or minimally processed foods, like orange juice, like raisins, that might have been fine 100 years ago in the context of a whole food natural diet, that brain now changes to the point where even some real foods like orange juice and raisins because of their minimal processing become untenable and addictive for that type of brain. It's what we've talked about before here in the vlog of um, being a cucumber and then being turned into a pickle, right? Like if you start off with a brain that's like a cucumber and then over time expose it to these ultra processed foods, it's like taking that pickle and submerging it in a vat of um, vinegar solution. And over enough time, you turn that cucumber into a pickle and it never goes back. And pickled brains have certain reactions to certain foods, even real foods, one could say, like orange juice and raisins, that unfortunately um, ignite, the addict, addict, blah, blah, ignite the addictive process. And it just never returns back to its normal state. So those are some studies that I predict could be done or I would love to see them done. Um, we're doing studies here at Brightline Eating. We have um, our first paper published, three wonderful conference presentations. You can click below for a list of uh, our scientific presentations over the last couple years. We're gonna do more and more and more of that. But for now, I think the NOVA classification system is an amazing advancement. And it was pioneered by scientists in Brazil. It's, you know, being used now around the world. And it is going to change people's thinking about what fundamentally it is that changed in our food system that has correlated with the obesity pandemic. It has everything to do with the processing of foods. Of course, because you follow along with Brightline Eating, you knew that already, but this is yet one more example of how science is catching up. That's the weekly vlog, and I'll see you next week.